You're listening to The Hour with Resident Advisor. The Hour! This, this, this is this, The Hour. You're listening to The Hour. This is The Hour. With Resident Advisor. Hello, it's Martha, producer of The Hour, Resident Advisor's documentary and discussion podcast. I'm delighted to be able to bring you an extra mini episode of the show where one of our writers, Carlos, has collected a whole range of experiences of debut DJ sets from some of your favourite selectors. Every DJ remembers their first time. Try as I might, mine is impossible to forget. I was 17 and it was a friend's birthday at the now shuttered London Club Rhythm Factory. The abiding memory is the overwhelming loudness and just feeling completely out of my comfort zone. I played a Chase and Status track, some old school hip hop, possibly out of space by The Prodigy, all mixed badly or not at all. It wasn't a pleasant experience and it certainly wasn't how I'd imagined it. Most professional DJs have a version of this story to tell. Many experiences, as you'll soon hear, are much worse. The ongoing pandemic means bedroom DJs the world over may now have to wait a while for their first public appearance. So in the meantime, enjoy some funny horror stories from artists who didn't let a dodgy debut stop them from following their dreams. Across the next 20 minutes, you'll hear from the likes of DJ Seinfeld, SPF DJ and Samil Sharp. But first up, the Australian selector, CC Disco. I grew up in the country and I really didn't get into DJing until a little bit later because I didn't discover dance music until I went to university. So I remember going to my first kind of really big rave and that was seeing Itchy and Scratchy which is this amazing act from Australia and it was all over after that. I decided I had to buy turntables and it took me about a year to save for these bloody turntables and I bought them from America and first of all I plugged them in and didn't realise the voltage was different from America to Australia. Blew them up. So then I had to actually go and buy some more And that took another year, I think, as well. I maxed out a credit card that I had at the time because I just really, really wanted to get into it. I had no effing idea what I was doing because this is back in the day when there's no YouTube tutorials, there's nothing. And even to, to like, work out what a BPM was, I would count a minute's worth of beats five times and then take the average of it. And that's, like, just, I don't know, probably very foreign to a lot of people who start DJing now. So I was doing that and then I was living at home in because my dad got sick and I was looking after the farm at the time. So I was working on the farm, running this dairy farm and then DJing during the day, practicing. And I decided to call up the local uh, pub. It was like a club actually. It was a really cool club for the country and asked them if they were doing any DJ stuff and they said, oh yeah, we've got this amateur night coming up soon. And I was like, yeah, yeah, lock me in. I basically planned this set that was to see if I was playing to 20,000 people at Glastonbury. Like, not even joking. Now that I look back at it, I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? I basically had an intro track that was uh, listened by Tears for Fears, which is this, like, really epic, beautiful synth song. And in my head, I was like, this is, this, this is my chance. And, you know, no one was there, obviously. There was three people there. So I started with this big instrumental track um, that just was really out of place obviously in this little bar and then I think I went into like teardrops Womack and Womack into Roger Sanchez but couldn't mix a gin and tonic like it was the worst mixing and I was shaking and the only three people there were my family as well 
just to give you the, the full picture. I also had it really loud as well. That is one of the biggest mistakes any young DJ can do on their first gig is have everything so loud because you can hear every damn mistake, especially when it's loud. But now I look back on it, it was traumatic as hell and I didn't DJ for another year after that. I was like, that was absolutely terrifying and disgusting and you're terrible. So you need to practice for another year. So I actually didn't DJ for about, yeah, maybe a year and a half and I just every single day practiced because that taught me so much that I was never ready and also don't play as if you're playing to 20,000 people but in the end it kind of worked out quite funny I eventually got my dream gig in 2016 I think that would have been six years or seven years into DJing professionally CC Disco it was my dream to use that track that I played in my first set that terrible set to 15,000 people at this festival and it's only one stage and when I actually played that back for the first time in you know this actual festival setting I was like wow like I actually had this idea you know 12 years ago and I actually got to execute it so something good came out of it but geez I was terrible. I had a lot of music, but I never really knew how to DJ. Here's Armin Jakobsen, aka DJ Seinfeld, whose first DJ set was in 2016. I never used a CDJ, I never properly learned it. I had fooled around with vinyl here and there, but I was far from a DJ because I never really thought I would ever become one or need to learn the, the craft. One day I get a booking to go and play in Berlin. I go there and I'm thinking, what have I, what have I done? Um, these people are going to be so disappointed when they hear me play. And I was watching YouTube tutorials on how to beat match and all these kind of things, thinking that this is going to be a, the first and probably only show I'll ever be invited to play. So I'm, I'm at the airport, I'm, <laughs> I'm losing my mind. I'm, I forget my passport somewhere in the somewhere in the airport is everything that could go wrong goes wrong and I'm supposed to f- close the club from four till eight in the morning after one of my musical heroes <laughs> um, and it's, it's 24 hours just non-stop perspiration and freaking out I'm just convinced that I'm gonna make a fool out of myself in front of the whole club but when I get to the club, uh, I see my friends had flown in from Sweden to surprise me, which helped take the edge off a little bit. It was more like I'm playing for them rather than to anyone else. Obviously, I made a lot of transition errors here and there, but I was, I was sort of confident with what the music was that I was playing and that it would suit tonight. So in the end, it was fine. It was, I mean, if I listened back to it now, I would, I'm not sure I would be horrified, <laughs> but was started as 24 hours of pure terror, ended it with a sense of relief and accomplishment, really. And from there on on, I just took every opportunity I possibly could to master the craft as much as I could. After work, going and practicing as much as I could, because I knew it it was something that I, at some point, wanted to do full-time. And uh, haven't regretted it since. DJ 
bus replacement service is famous for her hilariously unhinged track lists and for performing in a mask of North Korea's supreme leader Kim Jong-un. She opened with a story about the first time she used CDJs. I don't know if you've been to that festival before, Bang Face Weekender. They've got like a closed circuit TV station called Bang Face TV and, and they basically broadcast like house parties and chat shows and other crazy shenanigans for the festival goers on the site so they can watch it from their chalets. I was asked to do maybe like a 20 minute set and it was the first time that I played on CD Chase. Previously I'd been playing sets out on Ableton and then Tractor. Um, so I brought my USB stick, I I guess I kind of like prepped it in the, I just I put some tracks in, I don't think I was even using Rekordbox or anything at that point. I thought I put my USB in and, and off we go and played my first track. I was like, well, it sounded like what I thought was my track, but it was quite late at night, so maybe I wasn't all there. Um, it wasn't until like three or four minutes in that I realized that I had been playing the emergency loop of someone else's track, of, well, of the previous DJ, basically, blissfully unaware of it for several minutes. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not really sure how I kind of recovered from that, but I know that the DJ that was on after me told me that he was shitting himself in the chalet because he could see what was going on. It's like, what the fuck is up with the decks? But I think that did encourage me to like learn how to use it properly. I know a lot of people get away with just bunging their USB stick in and, and don't really do any preparation, but I think that gave me the impetus to really get to know it inside out. And, and I think the happy ending of that is you know i feel really comfortable playing on cdjs now and and not really that concerned if i have to troubleshoot along the way because i think i've seen my fair share of things that can go wrong and do go wrong and kind of know how to still kind of carry on set um, while fixing these things so that was a really good wake-up call for me i asked if any other stories came to mind oh yes so i played at sonar and i had and again this is because of inexperience, I hadn't reset the mixer channels. Instead of signing each channel to the A and B crossfader, I set it down the middle so I can use the faders instead of the crossfader. I hadn't um, set those down the middle for all the channels, so I think there was one track I was queuing in. It was a Steven Seagal reggaeton track. And I thought I was bringing it up and I was like bopping along to it and having a great time. Uh, little did I realize that um, I was basically dancing to absolute silence, and but everybody thought it was part of the act, so I totally got away with it. Hello, I'm Freddie K. Here's the Italian techno maestro Freddie K, who has been playing clubs since the early 90s. His way of diverting attention away from a sloppy transition, though kind of ingenious, isn't something we can really condone. It was in the beginning of the 90s, I think it was 90 or 91, something like this. I was a really uh, young, young DJ. It was my first time that um, I had to play an official club. It was also an important club in Rome. So when it was my, my turn, you know, the boot, the DJ boot is really high, like uh, 10 meters from, uh, from uh, the dance floor. I have a lot of pressure, of course. Also, the promoter was there. I think it was the, the, the third or fourth record. My mix was so, so, so bad. Really bad. 
really the the, the, the beat was not matched at all and, and I lost completely the control of the mixing oh it was it was a mess and, and I was and the people stopped dancing and start to look at me I was in panic I was really in panic I was oh my god oh my god so for five ten seconds I was really really sweating like I never sweat in my life before so, I know then then uh, I had an idea we really pum like a switch in one second and, and, and I look at the light jockey and I say okay I start to complain about the mixer and the tar tables mixer and tar tables oh ah, it's not possible well, you know acting with uh, moving my hands shaking my hands shaking ah, wah, 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 screaming yeah? and from downstairs you cannot hear but you can see that something happened that I had problems and then I start to to complain and watching the uh, look at look at looking at um, the man of the light from downstairs and the dance floor looks like he is taking care also of the volume of the sound system like it's a technician you know the main technician of the club actually he was taking care only of the light and i start to complain to him wah, 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 like a, and i know that from downstairs it looks like a, a, a big discussion you know wah, wah, wah. and he was a look at me and say what, 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 what do you want from me but from downstairs it looked like a discussion say why because it's not possible some system like that then after one minute of this theater the people actually start to complain to him from downstairs say, whoa, 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 whoa. Then I continued to play until the end, and uh, I said, wow, and in, my, in my mind I was saying, I'm really such an asshole like this? Okay. It was super funny still when I remember about that. My first ever gig in front of a crowd. SBF DJ, who spoke to me from Australia, played her first set at maybe the most beloved and iconic party on the planet. Uh, was at Glastonbury. <laughs> I know this probably sounds ridiculous, but yeah. Um, in 2013, I ended up playing at Glastonbury. <laughs> it wasn't obviously booked by the Glastonbury organizers. Uh, I had some friends at University indeed that were running a tent in the marketplace called Avalon Uprising. Uh, they're sort of a sound system crew from Somerset. Uh, one of my friends, Felix, Leeds, he just invited me to play. Um, so I don't remember exactly what I played, but I do remember that I started my set with uh, this track by Kings of Tomorrow called KOT Anthem, and it has a really long intro, like two two minutes or something, with some spoken word. Really quite epic, but it's a house track. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not exactly the sort of music that I'm known for now. <laughs> I was so nervous, I was shaking, I wasn't sure I was actually going to be able to twist the knobs. <laughs> I was really nervous. I took a while to get comfortable with it. You know, even four years after I first started, I was really nervous playing in front of anyone. Even at house parties, like after parties in our flat in Leeds, it was really difficult for me to stand up and play in front of people. So, you know, the fact that I played my first ever set at Glastonbury is kind of outrageous. <laughs> the Irish DJ Sunil Sharp had already played a handful of gigs on home soil in the lead up to our final story, so it wasn't strictly his first ever set, but as I'm sure you'll agree, it was too good to leave out. 
at the time there was a friend of mine, Sean, Dr. Strange, he had a big enough name in the hardcore scene and he was asked to play the Fuck Parade, which was kind of like the anti-love parade in Berlin. So he recommended me to the promoter to DJ in Trezor on the Friday night um, and they, they were happy to have me over. It was a surprise. I was really happy to play there, especially so early on in my in my DJ, DJ journey. So we were driven um, to Berlin by these kind of hardcore heads let's say uh, who were very into the music did a lot of speed so the guy that was driving us was literally speeding like the whole way i don't know what speed he was going at but i know that the music he was playing at was probably three three or four hundred bpm plus so um by the time we eventually got to berlin it, it wasn't that we were shaken but we were probably more happy to just arrive alive basically uh, so when we got there anyway we thought we'd be able to we thought we'd have a room or something to stay in now that the hosts the people we went to were really nice people but um when we kind of asked where we might be possibly staying they sort of pointed at the couch and told us another couple would be staying on the couch with us and then a group of three or four people would be would be there as well um i think also staying on the couch the gig actually went really well but it was after that that i had to start chasing the promoter i didn't meet him at the club and for about the next couple of days, I was ringing them in phone boxes. I don't know how much money I put into phone boxes trying to ring them. He'd say something like, oh, I'll meet you at Alexander Platz. Now, I didn't know Berlin at the time, so I thought that was just some, like, a monument that I just meet him at. So, I mean, he was kind of giving us the run around Berlin. I think he probably wanted to meet with us at the beginning, but he was tied up with the festival a bit and that as well. So... Uh, I went back to Trezor the next night, met the people from the club, told them what was kind of happening. Uh, they actually offered to pay me the fee that they had already paid to the promoter. But I told them, uh, I know it's cool, I'll catch up with the guy, but I really appreciate it. That was a really bad mistake. I should have taken the money uh, because for the rest of the time I was chasing after that guy. By the next day, he was claiming I didn't even play the set and was trying to basically tell, tell me to get lost. So... By the end, by the last two days, we literally starved. We had no, we had no food. We had ran out of money. Um, we were having to, you know, see whether we'd stay in a, a hotel or a motel and just have to do a runner. We were, we were trying to weigh up what we were actually going to do. Um, and then by the last day, I remember like we, we hadn't eaten anything, but um, my friend's girlfriend, I remember her, her buying a, a burger and all of us sort of like eyeing up the burger, just like, will she give us a bite of this? That's how hungry we were. Um, and I just remember by the time we got back, I don't know how we managed to actually, we, 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 I think we bumped on a train. I got caught by the inspector and then had to sign off on something for when I got back home. So basically, we got home, uh, we got home, uh, broke, um, owing money, owing money to the German government. Um, owing money to, I think, to Sean's mother. I think she must have sent money through for maybe where we stayed in the last night. Um, and all in all, feeling a little bit broken, but also feeling very uh, positive um, about having played in Berlin. So I've mixed, I've mixed feelings about all of that trip, but um, it did teach me a little bit about how to just have your your uh, your, your arrangements in better order, you know, uh, prior to that, and to not, uh, yeah, to just be a little bit. Um, 
more insistence on things. When I, I was happy to do the gig, of course, and it was great to play in Trezor, and they were the, the people from the club were great. But unfortunately, the the promoter we were dealing with that time was really really dodgy. Um, oh, also, my friend Sean didn't even get to see me play in the club. He he got thrown out actually somehow. But um, yeah, that's the story. Uh, that was my first gig abroad. This puts my time spent cowering behind the decks at Rhythm Factory into perspective. The common factor in all these stories is not letting those early errors and experiences drag you down. Everyone goes through it. As with anything in life, the best thing you can do is learn from your mistakes, practice like hell and jump straight back on the horse. Here's SBF DJ with some closing pearls of wisdom. The one thing that really changed for me after that set was I thought that I was gonna um, really struggle making mistakes and I was going to feel horrible about them but after the set my mistakes didn't really bother me I just shrugged my shoulders and moved on um, there was one point in my set where in the middle of a blend a really long breakdown came in on one of the tracks that I hadn't, I hadn't noticed uh, and when the kick came back in like it was out of time and it was a bit of a train wreck and I just pulled it out and didn't give a fuck. So yeah, that was one really nice takeaway from it. That the the fuck ups didn't really matter so much. It did give me some confidence moving forward. Yeah, just knowing that it's fine to fuck up. and all our contributors on this episode. We'll be back soon with more documentaries, interviews and discussion. Until then, you can find our full archive of episodes at residentadvisor.net and via whichever platform you prefer to get your podcast from. Thank you for listening. Thank you.